0: This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. Hello,
1: everybody. I'm Ray Harkins, and you're listening to 100 Ports of Less, the podcast. Thank you for joining us on this weekly romp through the people who have been involved in independent music in some capacity, whether it's putting out records, whether it's playing on records, whether it's listening to records and taking the principles that they have learned by listening to those records into their real life. That's pretty good, right? So anyways, the guest this week is Matt Mixon. He is uh, a filmmaker. He made a very, very compelling documentary on the band Misery Signals, and uh, we talk about it a little bit in the uh, interview. But um, I suggest once it's widely available for everyone to consume, you really need to watch this thing. He did an incredible job of a snapshot of a band that, uh, you know, by all stretch of the imagination it is not successful from the sort of mainstream perspective. You know, they did make an impact on the whatever, you know, melodic hardcore genre. And they did do very, very well for, you know, a, a period of time, but uh, it's so emblematic of what it's like to be in a band. And, the lives you touch, and like all of these unintended consequences, both positive and negative, when you decide to start a band, and when you decide to, um, you know, start to tour, and like I said, be present in people's lives that you might not have done if you didn't start that band. If that makes sense. So yeah, Matt did an incredible job with that, and uh, that's why I wanted to have him on. He's also a ex vocalist for uh, Seven Angels Seven Plagues, which again was another very seminal. Foundational band within the context of um, a lot of hardcore in the early 2000s. So yeah, and Matt and I, I, we've traveled in the same rooms. We never really spent any time together, but uh, basically after this conversation, him and I are now like really good friends (laughs) in the sense of we're like texting and you know chatting up like uh like some uh, some teenage boys that uh, just met each other and really like video games. That's kind of how Matt and I are now, and I really like that because you know we're both uh, dudes in our 30s who you know. We, we're we're pretty set you know like we, we don't need to make quote-unquote new friends but uh yeah I just love that where you can be surprised by a person being like wow we have very similar experiences so anyways I'm a little sluggish right now because uh last night I went to go see Bon Iver or some people call it Bon Iver no they don't know they don't really call him that but it was at the Hollywood Bowl it was um I just music is so insane like it just continually impresses me The stuff that comes out of people's heads and gets poured onto instruments and then gets taken out in a live context and like you know i'm not going to use these words like magical and surreal and whatever but i've seen him a couple times now in different environments um and last night was just truly special it was one of those things that you could tell the gravity of the moment of him playing at the hollywood bowl it was sold out you know i don't even know the capacity at the hollywood bowl but you know there has to be like 15,000 18,000 I have no idea but there's a lot of damn people and it was raining most of the night but then through the duration of his set it didn't rain at all it was kind of like this uh this moment of just like the clouds parting and yeah I don't know maybe I'm reading too much into it but it was it was a very impactful experience but because of that you know I'm tired because I'm old right (laughs) but um yeah also Email the show, 100 podcast at gmail.com, because, um, yeah, I like speaking with you. I like the feedback that I get from people in regards to listening to this show. Um, I've really also liked the experience that uh, people have had in regards to getting exposed to new bands, you know? Like, I got a great email from a person who is in his early 20s, and he was like, I, you know, I'd never heard about certain bands until I started listening to your show via, you know, your appearance on this other podcast or whatever. And I love it because then, you know, we, him and I started a dialogue where he, he was asking me, do you listen to any Rise Records bands? And I love that because it was, you know, it made me reflect on like, you know, am I being that guy that's not listening to any new music because I'm like, oh, it's probably terrible. But then after I looked at it, I was like, well, no, there are, there are some bands that I've really enjoyed that Rise Records has put out from the sort of quote unquote stereotypical Rise Records release, you know, whatever metalcore stuff you would like to describe the label as but um yeah anyways it was just a very uh it was a insightful conversation because the whole point of this particular show too is to bring us all together you know young old in between whatever it's a very important thing to uh, put all of these people in context and to hopefully give a voice to people that you know might not have it in this particular medium so there you go thank you so email the show anyways like i said matt mixon did an incredible documentary, um, yeah, on misery signals. And, uh, yeah, I just, I had to have him on. It was one of those things. He, he wasn't emailing me to ask me anything. Uh, I was talking to him about some other project that uh, I needed his help on. And then, um, yeah, he just, you know, sent me this doc and was like, Hey, you know, check it out. And I personally, I loved misery signals. I, you know, I got a chance to know all those guys and play a lot of shows with them. And, um, yeah, it was just an incredible, incredible documentary. So whether or not you even like the band. Uh, that doesn't matter. It's a very representative look at uh, you know how these these bands that we play in and that we kind of circle around are really impactful. You know, even if it's not from the sort of mainstream careerist standpoint, they're still incredibly impactful. So here's my conversation with Matt, and uh, hopefully uh, by the next uh, conversation I'll be a little rested. All right, I'll talk to you then. Yeah, typically I start these things off with my you know entry point to kind of you, your music and just uh you know, us existing in the same scene at the same time but just not meeting each other obviously. <laughs> yeah. The, uh, so wait, are, oh, oh I'm sorry, go ahead. No, it's okay. We're recording. We're live, live and in charge. Okay, cool. We're going
0: now. Yeah. Um actually I was uh uh talking to Kenya last night at the PETA thing, the walkthrough. And she was like, "Oh, how do you know Ray?" And I was like, "I don't even think we've ever met, actually. No, we, we just know each other through the internet."
1: It's true, but we do. I, I think, well, because you were de- you were with Misery Signals when Taken played with you guys at. Well, sorry, you guys. I'll include you in the group. You guys
0: at the, nice. the Glasshouse, right? <laughs> yes, I was there. Yeah, okay.
1: I think that was the first time we actually met. But we both were like, "Oh, hey, like we know each other, but we don't know each other."
0: <laughs> yeah yeah Um, uh, that was actually the one show they wouldn't let me shoot, so that's the one missing show from that documentary that's, strangely enough
1: that's true they as in the glass house wouldn't let you shoot
0: yeah the glass house It was some uh some thing some liability thing interesting wow that was
1: i uh, i i wasn't expecting to see that show but the uh yeah it was uh, well I'm sorry you couldn't film that but that's okay the um so but my my introduction to you as far as like you know who who you were uh musically speaking was um I worked at an independent record store here in Southern California called Bionic Records and um it, you know I w- this was like whatever you know late late 90s or early, 80s early, early early 2000 touring with Taken um you know obviously I had a job that allowed me to tour but I was like the main buyer so I would you know I would notice when bands started to kind of you know do well because it would be like oh I would order 5 copies of the CD and then like a week later I'd have to order like 10 and You know, Seven Angels, it was one of those things where it was like, you know, obviously in the infancy of the internet, where kids across the country were able to like listen to a band and identify with it, but not obviously ever have a real chance of seeing the band. But I just remember it was one of those things where it was like, dude, I can't, I literally could never order enough Seven Angels CDs to sell at the store. I'd be like, all right give me a 25 count box and that they would they would send it to me and then like two weeks later i'd be like dude are you fucking kidding me i have to buy more of these things um and not like i was surprised because i thought it was terrible but i just was so impressed by it um i presume that you obviously could not feel any of that sort of momentum (laughs) from where you guys were were standing or did you
0: uh no not really i mean that's i've always said that that band felt like it got big after they broke up or i mean i quit and then they went on for like another couple months and then they broke up but um i never felt like that band was big ever when i was in it or even when it was even when it existed we would go on tour and play like these you know you would play like san antonio or like somewhere completely random and the show would be fucking insane and every kid would know the word and you'd just be like holy shit but then we'd play milwaukee like, you know, like opening for some big touring band and like, you know, the reaction would be like, whatever. So I, I never, I mean, you know, it's it's funny that you mentioned it, but I remember the the Southern California shows we played were really fucking awesome and that was really encouraging. Um, yeah. but yeah, no, I had, I had no idea.
1: Yeah. It's a, it, 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 it was it obviously an interesting time because like you were able to obviously consume music from a, you know, an easier standpoint, but then be able to, You know, a a band like the first time that they would come through town would be obviously like a little bit more hyped because I think it was also that idea that a lot of the bands that existed within our scene, you don't you never even know if they're going to come back. Like you're like, this is probably the only time they're going to come to California. Who knows? Like you just didn't have an inclination that, that, that you would have, you know, more times than maybe one, maybe two times to see a band, you know?
0: Right. Yeah, it was the best.
1: Right. (laughs) No, totally. And I did love it where it was like, you know, even on the strength of a demo, like a band would be able to, uh, you know, get a, a, you know, hype or a following or whatever. um, And then they would come through Southern California. And I I know it was always like a litmus test for bands to be like, all right, man, if if we do well in Southern California, then something might be happening for us, you know?
0: Right. Yeah, totally. Did you
1: guys, did you guys have like when you came out here, did you have an expectation for like, oh, I've heard the shows are pretty, pretty sick out here?
0: Uh, man, I don't know. I'm trying to remember. It was so long ago. For sure. Um, yeah, I mean, I th- I think we were just excited to be playing like LA or whatever, quote unquote, or whatever. Um, and we ended up on some, the only time that I ever played LA or maybe it was uh, a suburb. I don't even know. We ended up on some huge show with like a bunch of Christian bands, which we always got lumped into for some reason. I don't know. Um, and yeah. <laughs> yeah i know so well i mean two of the dudes in the band were super religious but then the other three of us weren't and we just kind of ended up in that in that uh thing but um yeah i think we, we we were we were hoping it would do pretty well but it was sick it was like dodging bullets remember that band of course yeah <laughs> uh and i think it was a sold out show It was gigantic and um um, yeah, I mean, I, I I can't remember if there was, like, expectations one way or another, but I know we were super stoked. That was, like, that's, like, one of the most memorable shows i probably ever played with that band.
1: Right, right. And it's always, obviously, exciting when you get to go to a coast and, obviously, see an ocean. You're like, oh, man, I can see the Pacific or the Atlantic or whatever.
0: Totally, yeah.
1: Um, and you yourself, were you born and raised in, in Milwaukee, or where did you come up?
0: No, I was born in Boston, and I had to move to, I uh, grew up in Connecticut a bit. Um, had to move to Madison, Wisconsin when I was 15 after my parents got divorced. And I lived there for the last 20 years or so. Just recently moved to Portland, Oregon last year.
1: Right, right. Um,
0: yeah. Cause it was, But I mean, I started getting into hardcore, like when I got to Madison, Wisconsin,
1: Okay. That was the, your introduction to independent music. Cause you know, I mean, I do prep work, obviously I'm not just like some schmo like, Oh, whatever. I'll talk to this person. I won't even look anything up about them. Cause, but you surprisingly, like, you know, there isn't a ton of information about you on the internet in regards to like past interviews or whatever. Um, you know is that uh, I mean obviously I presume that a lot of it would would come from the fact that you know you were doing interviews pre the internet or whatever Um, but do you you find yourself being a private person at all or is it one of those things where it's just like well no I'm willing to share I just you know don't get the opportunity to
0: yeah no I think it's a result of the fact that I was in a band like my my footprint in hardcore is tiny by you know by most standards but then you know you also mentioned it, it took place pre internet like I was in a band that like got bigger as the legend grew like years after they broke up but um you know that shit was happening like nearly 18 years ago at this point um and i was only in that band for like a year too so um that's it like i've been in a bunch of other smaller bands that never really got outside of milwaukee wisconsin but that's about it i mean besides like making films that's like my experience with hardcore i mean besides going to shows of course but right right Um, and so you, so there's just not a lot of reason for me to have stuff out there, you know? (laughs) Right. Yeah. Yeah.
1: You're not going to post like a seven page bio on your website. (laughs) Right. Yeah. (laughs) Did, um, so like when you, you know, your, your family structure, like you said your parents got divorced when you were 17, uh, 15. Okay. 15. Uh, but prior to that, so like, what was your family structure? Obviously what did your, you know, mom and dad do for a living and uh, brothers and sisters?
0: Yeah, older sister, a um, couple years older than me. Dad worked in TV on the East Coast um, until like a couple years ago. Um, I don't even fucking know what my mom did before we moved. Like she worked as like a secretary or something, and then she ended up becoming a court reporter. Like once we moved away from the East Coast, um, but yeah, pretty normal family.
1: Got it, got it. What did your dad do for TV?
0: uh he was a producer. Oh, nice. And he was like, uh, I think he was like worked in advertising, buying at some point later down the road. He worked like for CBS in New York when we lived in Connecticut. And then he ended up working in radio years later.
1: Got it. Got it. Um, do you think any of your uh, interest in film was uh, fostered by him at all?
0: Oh, for sure. I mean, you know, we just watch TV fucking every night after school or, or whatever. Um, so like that's sort of like the the language I grew up, um, or like the art form I grew up digesting the most. My sister was a bookworm. She would like be reading at the dinner table and my dad and I would be watching like Star Trek The Next Generation or some movie or something like that. So yeah, I mean, just being exposed to TV and movies like 24 seven, um, I think that's probably what led me to where I'm at now.
1: Right. Right. And what's your, uh, you know, your, your racial makeup. Cause you know, obviously there's a, uh, you, you are not white, <laughs> which, which is obviously uh, something that, uh, you know, most, uh, punk and hardcore people automatically assume that it's just like oh yeah well it's a majority white people so um you know what's your what's your racial background
0: dad's black mom's white
1: okay got it so you're like tiger wood now yeah. that i
0: live now that i live in portland oregon which is one of the whitest places in the universe i'm like fucking wesley snipes out here i'm like one of the blackest <laughs> motherfuckers out here
1: <laughs> totally that's amazing yeah that, that there's definitely there's pockets of portland where you realize that it's like Oh, I, I haven't seen a, a, a person of, of a darker skin at all for like at least 10 minutes. And like, I'm in a major city.
0: <laughs> Dude, I'll go days, man. I'll go days. I mean, I'm, I'm it's not that bad. It's not like Boise no, or like, um, fucking, I don't know. Probably like places in like Montana or something like that. But yeah, I don't know. It's a, uh, it's definitely different than Milwaukee for sure.
1: Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, and so then uh you know what 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 identity did you have as a kid like when you were obviously going to you know junior high and high school once you started to kind of you know your world started to get a little bit bigger did you find yourself you know gravitating towards sports or obviously were you more interested in like you know film art kid stuff
0: no i was totally music kid um like you know as much as i grew up watching film and, and loving film like um i don't think i really understood my love for it until like um, after my parents got divorced and it was like the only thing I had to do like before I, I had I had wheels and could go to hardcore shows I would just sneak into movies all the time so like before that it was all music it was you know like um, fortunate enough to have turned like I don't know 11 years old like right around the time like every fucking sick record of the early 90s started to drop so like you know Nirvana, Pearl Jam Radiohead, Nine Snails, like all that stuff was like popping off like right as my ears perked up and started I started caring about music um, so, yeah, I was just a, a band kid playing in, playing in shitty alternative rock bands.
1: Oh, nice. And you, did you immediately pick up, like, uh, I, I presume you picked up a guitar or were you trying vocals for the first time?
0: I was bass and it was guitar. Um, eventually it just ended up being vocals by default because I wasn't really good at either of those other instruments. Right.
1: <laughs> Usually, I, I can't tell you how many singers fall into that that realm where it's like, well, everybody else i know that i'm friends with that's playing in my band is like much better at me than all this stuff so i guess i'll just yell or sing or yeah
0: totally i know man i know and like i you think i get the point but i'm like i still practice guitar on the reg i'm trying to write for for something right now and it's just like still trying to make that dream happen of being a guitar player still got something to prove
1: (laughs) hey that's as long well i mean obviously the beautiful part about uh, punk and hardcore is that you don't need to be that good at it in order to be proficient at something that's yeah totally it's the best um and so the, i mean w- where were you getting a lot of this input as far as music was concerned was it primarily just like radio mtv or was it um you know your friends that kind of surrounded you
0: yeah yeah all those things radio mtv and friends for sure
1: Got it. Um, i good. mean
0: I, I i loved hip-hop too um but I, I think like once like nevermind came out i probably put like i think hip-hop was what i got into first and then nevermind came out and then it was just like you know, never mind the Black Album, and then I just was into metal and, and alternative rock for a while, and then, you know, didn't get back into hip-hop until later, but, you know, that was, I mean, that, that shit was, was popular, it was on MTV all the time, it was, like, heavy on radio play, you listen back to it now, and you hear songs like like Them Bones or, like, Outshined and stuff, like, it's so heavy, and you're like, holy fuck, but that shit was, like, like pop radio at the time, you know, like, it was unavoidable
1: no totally uh, yeah especially when you listen to uh, though uh, obviously the bands from seattle you know Soundgarden, allison chains all that stuff like there's certain songs where you're just like this is legitimately like the heaviest shit that's like ever been played on the radio like on regular rotation
0: dude dead and bloated you ever listen to dead and bloated that, that shit is so fucking heavy and it's just got a weird time signature and i'm like this was just like on the radio once an hour when i was like 11 years old right, that's insane right.
1: No, it totally, it, it really, when you look at it from that perspective, it's so, it, it doesn't make any sense, and like, when you, if you visit a lot of those bands' records, like, as they, you know, after the, the early 90s boom, like a band like Silverchair, um, there, some of their records, like, after, you know, they became prominent after Frog Stomp, some of those records past it are just like, dude, this is like, almost a legitimate hardcore record it's so heavy <laughs>
0: <laughs> i've heard that i've never i've never dug deep on i've never done a deep dive on Silverchair, but i've heard that many times
1: yeah, it's so weird there's i think there's one there was there was a kid who used to roadie for a band i played in and he just he blew my mind with all this silver knowledge and one of them there's like there's like even a song that that kind of talks about like animal liberation in some weird way like they don't actually overtly say it but it was just like what the fuck is happening? This is Silverchair. This is like the band that was 14 years old from Australia. It's so weird.
0: Dude, that's crazy, man. Yeah. I used to cover one of their songs in a band. I was in, that's amazing. Or we used to, yeah.
1: Please tell So did you focus on like all covers in these bands or like, what was the, uh, was your idea that you wanted to play shows with these bands?
0: Yeah. Um, but I mean like there wasn't really sort of any like infrastructure set up for, for like, you know, kids in sixth grade to play shows at that point especially not like you know alternative rock we didn't like understand like diy or, or, or punk rock or anything like that so we, i mean we would play it like <clears throat> they'd have these like summer reach out events for like you know teens are supposed to go and hang out and we'd have shows there sometimes and um but it was mostly just like you know guitar bedroom basement doodling um most of the bands i was in was with my friend jeff who went on to be in With Honor. And like a bunch of other bands, like on the East oh, Coast.
1: Oh yeah, of course, of course. I know Jeff. That's
0: awesome. Oh, you know Jeff? Cool. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. He he and I grew up together in Connecticut, and like um, all, all those dumb bands I was in were with him, which is pretty rad.
1: No, that's incredible. Especially when you yeah, there. It's always interesting because obviously when you make friends at that age, that very volatile age, where you know obviously it goes one of two ways. You either stay friends throughout the time, uh, but then sometimes you have those friends that like you're super into something. And then, you know, one person kind of starts to veer off because they start to get into, you know, introduced to other friends or whatever. And then you just kind of watch them slowly fade away. So that's rad that you've had Jeff by your side that whole time.
0: Yeah. And he's who got me into hardcore too. When I, when I moved away, I think we were just starting to get into like epitaph and like pop punk bands and stuff like that. And like, I remember like he sent, he sent me a tape in the mail, like right when I got to Wisconsin and it had a snap case on it. And he was like, dude this kind of sounds like biohazard. And I was like, Oh, that's sick. And he's like, but it's sick. Cause like, I don't think he like like biohazard or whatever. Um, and that, that tape had like Snapcase and shelter and a couple other things on it, maybe like Fugazi on it or something like that. So like I, you know, when I landed in a new city where I didn't know any of the kids and went to a high school where like I, you know, I didn't meet any punk or hardcore kids. Like he would continue sending me shit from the East coast, like audio, like uh, cassette tapes. And that's how I got into hardcore through him
1: nice nice Uh, i i presume like did your sister have any like was she into any of that at all did it kind of usher any sort of musical influence in in regards to that at all
0: nah she was a theater nerd she hung out with like pretty cool kids but they they weren't into anything cool like or anything like that like punk or hardcore at all
1: right right i love that yeah anything cool they're all some some weird stuff that i wasn't into i just like guys (laughs) screaming at microphones (laughs) yeah The, uh, but no, I find it interesting because, you know, usually, uh, the experience of people is like, you know, maybe an older brother or older sister like shows them, it doesn't have to be obviously like, you know, deep cuts, but they're like, oh, here's like the cure. And you're like, oh, wow. There's something that's like not played on the radio or whatever.
0: Um, dude, that's like, it's like the cheat code for being cool is to have a cool older brother or sister. It's not even fair. Like the coolest fucking kid, you know, had a cool older brother or older sister. Like (laughs) that's that's straight up. Like my, are, are we, uh. I live with a bunch of dudes. Like we all live together in, in Milwaukee and, and Portland. And, and one of our older mates from Milwaukee is a student named Carl who like his brother was in like metal and like death metal and stuff. And his sister was into punk rock. So he just got like the sickest shit from both worlds when he was like, you know, like, like a single digit age. Like he, he was telling me that like, he was telling me about listening to the Black Album when it came out And being like this is fucking bullshit When he was like 12 years old And it's like meanwhile well, most of us his age Like we hear that that was like the first time we ever heard Metallica Like believe it or not And we're like this is fucking sick And he's already like whatever like 12 or something And he's like fuck this And he just goes and listens to Carcass or something like that Or like Dead Kennedys And it's like god damn it dude Like you had all the advantages man Fuck we had to figure this shit out like organically Like through MTV You just your sister's hand you a fucking Misfits tape When you're like six years old And you're just jamming out to that you know
1: right totally i I love how you put that a cheat code because that's totally that is 100 percent correct it's like you're all you're birthed into it you're just like oh cool i happen to be like the coolest kid ever like 10 years before everybody else catches up to me
0: (laughs) totally totally yeah there was this girl that went to our high school i remember who like i think her older brothers were into stuff and she like i can remember seeing she she had a sick of it all windbreaker on this is in connecticut before i moved like years before i knew who that band was and then i was like looking back like five years later when i discovered them and i was like holy fuck this girl was listening to sick of it all in like seventh grade jesus christ
1: (laughs) totally that's incredible um And so then, then obviously once you, I mean, as music started to kind of consume you even more as you, you know, went down the rabbit hole, um, was it one of those things? Like, did your parent, was there any cause for concern from your parents? Like, you know, were you a good student or how did did that kind of play itself out in the house?
0: Um, yeah. So I lived with my mom. Like it was just, she and I, once we moved to the Midwest, cause my sister went off to college I think they were like waiting for my sister to go to college before they got divorced. So it was just my mom and I, and, um, you know, I in, like instantly when I got there, I had no friends. Um, I wouldn't meet Ryan from Misery Signals and Seven Angels until like, um, uh, like a year later or so before we started hanging out. Um, so Jeff, again, my friend Jeff would just send me these tapes and I got into hardcore and I was just like, I I discovered straight edge and I was like, Oh cool. That's like kind of what I'm already doing. Like, that sounds cool. And, um, I think once my mom, like, like I communicated to her what straight edge was and like, she like believed me or whatever. She was just like relieved that cause like I just moved to a new city, you know, I could have just gone like down a you know, like I'm, I'm bummed kind of path and gotten into drugs or something shitty. But I was like, yo, I'm into this, I'm into straight edge and, and hardcore. And she was like, Oh, that's fucking tight. And then like, from that point on, she was just like, let me do whatever I wanted. Cause she knew that I wasn't drinking or, or out doing drugs, or whatever. Um, so like, you know, I found straight edge, like as soon as I moved. Um, and that was just kind of like me and for the rest of high school pretty much.
1: Right. Right. Um, and then I mean obviously I mean you said that you know when your parents got divorced that you felt like it was you know they were just waiting for your sister to graduate um, was it one of those things like you were aware of in the house that like okay mom and dad are not getting along this seems to be some friction here and then how did it how did it affect you from that perspective
0: no I remember I don't think I had any idea actually like I don't remember being too surprised but I also remember being like holy shit like that's pretty crazy news because we were supposed to move to New York City that was a to thing but then at the last minute my mom said she wanted to move to Wisconsin because she had family there so um, yeah didn't really see it coming but um, I was just really bummed to leave my friends you know like I was really close with Jeff and a couple other dudes in Connecticut um, and more than anything that, that's what bummed me out from that but um, no things at home were fine it, it was uh, pretty easy as far like on that front
1: right right and did you uh did you find yourself having to uh i guess work harder at keeping a relationship with with your dad or was it one of those things that you know that that transition was was relatively seamless as well
0: uh yeah i mean that's that's one of those things that that definitely got strained and um sort of fractured i suppose um, over the course of the next however many years um you know we still live in the same state so uh we're not nearly as close as we would have been
1: right right um And so then, uh, like you said, obviously, once you landed in in Madison, um, was it, uh, that's when you obviously discovered, you know, what shows were and what, like, independent music was from that perspective. Um, And once you got exposed to it, was it one of those things that was like, you know, a light switch going off? You just immediately started to try to go to as many shows as possible?
0: Well, you know, so... 15 at this point so um, not only do I not have any not only do I not have a license but I'm gonna have any fucking friends to like you know get into shit like this so I know there were shows that took place in Madison and there were obviously shows happening in Milwaukee and Chicago which is only about like a 90 minute drive or so um, but I didn't go to shows for another couple of years because I just didn't have the, the means to, to get to it so it's like my experience in Harvard was literally just like buying CDs and like dreaming about it and like you know trying to like like you know there's no internet or anything either so you're just you're basically just like listening to cds and like reading lyrics and liner notes and shit um, right. and then like meeting friends and like trying to get them, them into stuff and discovering stuff like the record store was probably like the the biggest like experience you could have at that point it's just like going out and like looking for cds and bulldogs on
1: the store was called bulldogs
0: now I'm saying like trying to find like any oh trying to ball find out. the bull. <laughs> of course,
1: of course. I always <laughs> joked around with uh, friends that were like either talking about signing with Victory or you know doing something with them. I was like, do you know there's a clause in the contract that you need to get a bulldog tattoo, right? <laughs> They're like, <laughs> like, no, there isn't. And I'm like, no, I know. I'm just kidding, but they have bulldogs over everything. <laughs>
0: Yeah, but I mean, but yeah, that was it, man. Like, I was like, that was the most exciting fucking thing ever to be like, you know, and like, I didn't even, I couldn't get, I couldn't even get the rides to the cool record store because it was on the east side of town and that was like really far away. But I got my mom to take me one Saturday, I remember, and I just like hung out there as long as I could until she made me leave. But then otherwise, you would just like go to the mall and like cruise through Sam Goody. And then every once in a while, you'd see like Stripe or something and be like, holy fuck, it's a fucking Stripe. I mean, like, I already owned the CD, but it was just like exciting to like see that CD and like, or something
1: like that. Yeah. No, oh, totally. Yeah. You feel like, uh, there, there's like a, a small sense of victory. You're just like, Oh yeah, it's, co- it's coming up. Like, it's not too big, but it's coming up and that's rad. Yeah. Totally. <laughs> um, and so like, w- did you have a vision, I guess on, you know, what you wanted to do with, uh, you know, yourself after high school? Like, was there uh, a, v- a vision for uh, a career or a job or anything like that? Or, uh, did you graduate college? Did you, uh, you know, pursue that higher education? <laughs>
0: Yeah, I went to college um, I'm not sure if I had any idea Of what I wanted to do When I was in high school Still so, like, I was really stoked On playing music Like I got into a band With, with Ryan Who was in Major Singles now And like who was In Seven Angels with me And I think we were Pretty stoked on playing music At the time So that was kind of the plan. Um, you know, like midway through high school, he got his license. I didn't get mine until like almost right before I graduated. So we started driving to shows in Milwaukee and Chicago. Um, and we both wanted to go to school in Milwaukee, um, just to like be near our art in there and like be near our buds and stuff like that. So, um, I went to college, I like, took a year off and then I ended up in college in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, which is like 90 miles, um, east of Madison. And yeah, I think the goal was just to like hang out and be in bands and, um,
1: Play shows And you know Do hardcore Sure Yeah yeah Just be a part of the scene (laughs) Yeah Um And so then What what was the first band That you did
0: Uh We were in a Uh A band in high school Ryan and I Called Divine Right That was based off This Gene Lee comic book That was uh That image was putting out And like We didn't even know Like I don't know uh, again With like the religious Overtones We we just thought It was a badass sounding
1: name
0: Um (laughs) And we, we played like we played some covers, but then we had tons of originals. We like really wanted to sound like VOD, I think, because um, that was like what that record was like fucking huge at the time. That first VOD record, um, yeah. And then uh, <clears throat> after high school, Ryan joined Seven Angels, and I joined this this kind of like prayer for cleansing, undying, trying to be ass band called Endless Day. Um, and after a short time in that band, I quit and I joined Seven Angels and, and hung with those dudes. Um, cool, cool. I, I really
1: in, lived with. in this day did you guys didn't you guys put out something on uprising or who, who did you work with
0: yeah i think they did i only did like a demo and a comp song i think um but i think they went on to, to, to be an uprising as well as, as well as seven angels
1: right 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 it was, e- it was either uprising or tribunal i just remember that name of just like oh yeah i remember that
0: <laughs> yeah yeah totally
1: um and so y- did you you sang for both of those or did you play guitar in those
0: no, I sang I sang both of those bands. And to say I had two singers, so when I did, they
1: were fine. And you, you've you always struck me as a person who's, you know, very friendly and, you know, kind of outgoing. Like, was it, uh, was it difficult for you to kind of get up on stage and sing um, from that sort of like, oh, I don't know how I'm going to do this? Or was it kind of just like, well, I'm going to do this and figure it out?
0: No, nah, it was fine. Like, I, I loved it. Um, I still kind of Wish I could do it Like I Physically It was hard for me I was in really bad shape And I had like Terrible Terrible asthma That I didn't get Under control Until like My late 20s So like It's funny Like whenever I look back At pictures of me Playing with those bands I'm always like Doubled over Like Grabbing my pant leg For dear life Because I Fucking can't breathe And I'm trying to like Scream you know Um so, yeah, no, I, I loved it. I thought it was, like, the best thing ever. I mean, I think I was, like, really disempowered through, like, the DIY spirit of, like, fuck it. Like, you got something to say, get out there, do it. And, like, I mean, like, my voice sounded like shit towards the end of Seven Angels because I think mostly because I was just out of shape and I couldn't really like, get the breath and I didn't really understand like diaphragmational breathing and everything like I had no idea how to scream, like I was having asthma attacks every night. But like I remember when I graduated high school and I was still doing that that high school band, like my voice sounded fucking sick. I just like loved grabbing the mic and like making that thing go and like just being you know loud and sounding badass
1: you know, once you started to kind of obviously like play shows and start to not even like have a following, but just start to be, you know, what you wanted to do, which is obviously be, you know, part of a a scene, whatever that, that meant, um, you know, was the eye on the prize as far as like, Oh, we got to get it on tour. We got to do this.
0: Totally, man. Yeah. Touring touring was everything. It was like the, you know, the ticket to like the great adventure. It's, it's like what we always strive for. And it was as good as advertised when we finally got to do it for sure
1: yeah you immediately loved being on the road
0: yeah absolutely i mean i remember i used to get homesick um and like i didn't get along with some of the dudes in the band a lot and that was annoying but like otherwise like i was just hanging out with my best friends and like seeing mountains and oceans um and like talking to girls and like you know meeting friends and shit like dude it was the best man it was the best
1: right <laughs> no I know it's especially when it, it's so weird because obviously your, your peer group of that age too they don't you know it's like they don't understand like you know say you obviously like tour during the summer of high school and then like you come back and everyone's catching up over you know like oh what'd you do it's like oh you know did like whatever basketball camp or you know just kind of typical high school experiences and then you are like oh yeah like I went on tour for like two months and people are just like what does that even mean like
0: I don't even <laughs> understand I don't even understand what do you tour <coughs> Well, I never had the the pleasure of going on tour in high school, but I can remember even in college, I can remember playing like weekends, like driving to the East coast and playing like Yukon and like somewhere in like upstate New York and then like Pennsylvania and then like getting back at like six in the morning and having to be at class at like 10 AM, just like, you know, fried, but like feeling like I led this, you know, second life, like kind of like, um like when Ed Norton in fight club, like goes back to his office and he's got all his bruises and he's just like looking at everybody else. Like, you know, like you guys have fucking no idea. Like, and, and just like that, that was, that was the fucking coolest thing ever.
1: Right. No, it, to- it totally is. Especially. Yeah. Would you get, like you said, you get dropped off for like an 8am class at like, you know, seven forty five, like by your bandmates and people are just kind of looking at you like, what, what the hell is this? Why is he, do- don't- why is he getting dumped out of a van? This is weird.
0: Yeah, no, totally. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I, I literally remember like getting back from a, from a weekend just like on no sleep and then going to a full day of classes. Like I'd be dead if I tried to do that now, but oh, that yeah. was, that was so rad
1: for sure. Especially too. Like you always recognize in hindsight, you're like, dude, why did I sign up for that 8am like math class? Like that was, t- that was a stupid idea for me. <laughs> yeah <totally. laughs> Um, and so then, uh, like you said, obviously once you started to, you know, tour and experience the world, um, was it uh i mean obviously during that time too it's always you never had any inkling that you could kind of do this from like a, oh like let's you know make this a career or whatever um but were you just basically kind of experiencing like as it went along or did you have your site set for like oh this this would be great but like i i, I was interested in these other things as well
0: yeah. I mean, like, I, like I said before, I wasn't in seven angels very long. Um, I think I might've been in that band for like less than two years, actually. Like I happened to have sang on the record, but, um, they existed a long, like a while before me and a little while after me. Um, and <clears throat> I think I was really conflicted. Like I, I thought I should stay in school. Cause like, you know, we'd be broke and like tour was, was tough and I'd always get sick and like, like I said, I was in really bad shape. So like the shows were physically a struggle for me. Um, and like towards the end of it, I was just like, yeah, fuck it. Like, I, I think I kind of just want to not tour as much cause they wanted to ramp up and just be like, you know, full time. Um, and I wanted to, I, I decided to quit and stay in school. Um, and like looking back, like, especially after editing that documentary, um, and like sifting through footage of like all those dudes on the road. Cause like a lot of, a lot of the documentary deals with a a tour that took place like four or five months after I quit the band, when I was just like chilling back in Milwaukee, like in fucking I don't know, economics. Right. 201 or whatever. And like, those dudes are like in Florida and like having all these like great adventures together. And like, um, 15, 20 years later, like I spent the last year going through all this archive footage of them. Um, and it was so weird. Like I, I, I don't know why I didn't fight harder to keep doing that. Cause like, maybe I just thought it would always be an option. Like, Oh, I can just, you know, be in a band whenever and like, you know, find the, the resources to like go on tour and just make it happen again. But like really like two of my best friends in the world were in that band. And like, um, I don't know why I didn't fight harder to like make the dream work just to like hang with them longer. Cause like watching those, that video of them and just being like, fuck, like where was I? Like I was probably like playing grand theft auto three on PlayStation or something like that. And like these dudes are off like, you know, fucking going to Europe and like playing all these cool shows and shit. I don't know. It was like, uh, it was a mistake. I feel like I, I exited too early.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, it, obviously, hindsight's twenty twenty, and you can look back on that, and you obviously look at it through rose-colored glasses in regards to, you know, the nostalgia trip that you would have on it. Um, but, you know, I mean, like, when you're faced with these real choices, like, so, I mean, you obviously you can count on you know all of your hands and toes the amount of bands that broke up during that era because you know one or two dudes had to go to school and like focus on real life like you know these things are are real you know so it's like well like you said you could have stretched it out a little bit longer it's like you know i get where you're coming from because it was like you know it's like i'm I'm not going to be you know a 35 year old touring in a hardcore band like that's not a there's no path to that it doesn't make any sense
0: how long did you tour for
1: uh, from like ninety seven till about two thousand and four well, I mean well, that was the years that taken was the most active, but it was about ninety nine two thousand actually two thousand to two thousand four is when we toured the most um, so full was, time well more full time was like two thousand one till about two thousand and three before we started to ramp down, so it was a good two two and a half years while we were you know we were out for at least four four months or so roughly i mean it was always around schooling in some capacity um but then towards the last year and a half we started to be able to you know go out more where it's just like school was an afterthought for most people so because mm-hmm. i mean like like you're like we were both saying where it's like that time was so weird because the, all you could look at as far as a a roadmap of success it's like you had bands like you know obviously like you know sick of it all and all that sort of you know the the new york city hardcore but then you had bands like oh well hate breed like does it and then like poison the well is doing it and they're getting really popular but like it you didn't you had no idea that this was gonna be a thing, you know,
0: <laughs> yeah, totally,
1: but the um so obviously, like you said, you know once once you left and you focused on school, what did you end up getting your degree in
0: uh journalism,
1: oh okay, you felt like that was uh so you wanted to be like a writer, you want to work in news, where was your focus
0: yeah, I wanted to write um I wanted to write like magazine features, like tell stories um got it. and Never eventually got oh, I'm sorry. I was just going
1: to say, I never wanted to write about music from that perspective?
0: Maybe, maybe I did. Uh, it's, it's hard to remember, man. Like, so much of college is, like, going through the motions. Like, I think I was interested in writing. Um, I don't know if there was anything, any specific drive to, like, write about music specifically.
1: Got it, got it. Well, because, yeah, usually it's, like, people that... You know, especially like singers like yourself, like you realize that, um, you know, writing it's like, oh, well, like I like writing lyrics and I like expressing myself. And then, you know, they kind of go down the path of like, oh, well, I can express myself by you know giving reviews or whatever, like doing those like little, you know, freelance things for local scenes or whatever. But right. It's, yeah, it's cool. You had a lot lar- like you wanted to work on a, a little bit larger scale than that.
0: Yeah, you know it's weird that I wanted to write too because I always felt like like a huge I I had struggled so bad writing lyrics like I, I always felt like I was terrible at it and like I wrote only like a like a few Seven Angels songs like the, the rest of the dudes like wrote the lyrics for the rest of the songs like so it's funny that like because I can remember like actively struggling so hard and like trying to impress those dudes and like write six shit and just coming up with nothing and then meanwhile I'm going to class and like you know writing every day it's weird I never yeah. thought about that
1: yeah true <laughs> well it's kind of it's it's definitely two different muscles too.
0: Yeah, that's true.
1: And, for sure. Uh, did, you, uh, you know, did you like recording? Like, Did you like that, that experience of, of you know, kind of, because it, it, it's weird recording vocals. Like there's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. I don't think there's anything normal, especially when you're in an aggressive band and yelling into a microphone. Did you enjoy the experience
0: at all? yeah i loved it i loved it i remember like they doubled me up a couple times and i was just like i sound so fucking sick this is the fucking sickest thing ever (laughs) and then like (laughs) recording gang vocals i remember being so fucking tight too and like just like sort of like directing it and um yeah it was awesome man
1: no that's cool yeah you're like all right you're hitting the wrong syllable here it's it's da da da
0: (laughs) right 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 totally yeah so much of that
1: right that's that's funny um, and so then, uh, I mean, it's, it sounds like obviously as you, uh, you know, started to go through, through college, like you love, you know, Madison and like the Milwaukee area. Um, there was no reason for you to like want to go elsewhere.
0: No, I mean, like I always just wanted to hang with my friends and my friends lived in Milwaukee. So we just stayed in Milwaukee and it wasn't until like years later when like a bunch of my friends at the exact same time were like, we all want to move that we all decided to move. Like, I think if all my friends are still in Milwaukee, I'd probably still be there now. I wish I had right. moved to the West Coast like years ago, like Midwest brother weather is complete bullshit, but, um, <clears throat> no, it's all, it's just, you know, it's just about being near your friends.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's always, it's always struck me as a real special thing that you guys have up there. Um, I mean, obviously with like fuck city and, and everybody, you know, essentially, you know, living together in, you know, uh, the house that you guys did in. Um, it was something I was going to ask a little bit later, but you know, because it, it, it's rare to keep people together for a prolonged period of time. Obviously, because you guys, you know, uh, Andy obviously, you know, had uh, extreme success with Fallout Boy, and obviously he uh, has done a lot to help out his friends from that perspective. But then you guys just basically sticking together, um, supporting each other. You know, from an outsider's perspective, just watching what you guys do, that's pretty special. Like, do you do you feel like it's a pretty unique situation that you guys have created up there? And then obviously, like you said, moving out all together as well
0: dude it's unbelievable man like I mean I try to focus on daily gratitude um, and it's it's, uh, it's hard not to with like what we have and like what we've had for going on a decade right now um, fuck okay so it's 20, I didn't even think about this it's 2016 it's fall 2016 10 years ago uh, like kind of right after Fall Out Boy got big. Well, this is okay. So, so this, the whole story is that like uh, yeah, Andy. Please, yeah, please, please, who,
1: please lay it all out <laughs> because this. I, I mean, I, I know bits and pieces of it, but it would be nice to have a chronological order of this.
0: Sure, sure, sure. Uh, so Andy, uh, who plays drums in Fall Out Boy now, um, he, myself, Ryan, and Kyle, who are both in Misery Signals and who were both in Seven Angels, uh, the four of us live together in this like dump piece of shit house, uh, on Kramer street in Milwaukee, near the university of Wisconsin, Milwaukee, where we all attended except for Kyle. Um, and one day we were all sitting around eating Thai food. And by the way, this is fucking crazy. Cause I'm pretty sure this conversation is on video somewhere. And when I was doing the archival re- stuff for like, for the yesterday was everything doc, I was like searching for this moment to find it. Cause I can remember like vividly us sitting there and I can remember like Ryan, uh, this kid that used to, work at Best Buy like I used to steal money from this pizza place I worked at and this kid would steal electronics and we would just trade and I would just like give him money from the till and buy shit and this is like right around the time like American Beauty was out like that cool little like flip video camera it was like a a tiny like almost like a vhs size it was like fucking so high tech for like 2000 or whatever and like this kid stole one from like the circuit city or best buy warehouse and he and he like he brought it to me and i bought it for like nothing and i had it for like a year and then i got a better one and i sold it to ryan and ryan used to just video record everything so like a bunch of the video from the yesterday was everything doc was shot on a stolen video camera that's pretty funny uh (laughs) but so i remember ryan sitting sitting there with his video camera that day, like shooting. And I'm pretty sure this was on video. Anyway, we don't have it long story short, but, uh, we were talking about how, if anybody ever got, cause I had just quit seven angels. I think those dudes were starting, like going to start misery signal soon. And Hurley was in this band project rocket with Kyle also, which I think was they they were more interested in, but then he had also just joined fall boy. I can't remember the exact chronology, but yeah, yeah. we were talking all these different projects and, uh, and we were like, yo, if anybody ever gets big off music, you got to buy a house and everybody gets to live in it. And we were like, yeah, fuck yeah. And you know, it's just a, you know, fucking in punk rock bands. Like we're just like, of it's tongue in cheek. It's a joke, you know? But then like three years later, it basically happened and fall play blew up. And, <clears throat> and like right around the time, like, their first record came out. And I remember Andy bought this, this kind of like modest house in a suburb of Milwaukee. And we used to go up there and hang out and it was the fucking coolest place. Cause it was just like your rich friend's house. Kind of like, it wasn't like a gigantic place, but it was just like, maybe like you'd go to your, like, like pretty comfortable friend's house for a sleepover. And they just had like all the sickest snacks and like the dope TV and like you'd rent movies and like, it was like a house like that, but like owned by a kid who was our friend and we would just play PlayStation and watch movies and like watch football and shit. It was like the fucking best. And like that fall we were playing football, all of us together and I broke my foot and I couldn't pay rent. And, um, and I had to move out. Because I couldn't work, so I couldn't pay rent, and my lease was month to month, so I had to move out, and I was like going to be forced to like have to move back in with my mom for the first time in like whatever like seven years or something, and I was just like, dude, can I stay in your guest bedroom? And he was like, yeah, for sure. So I moved into his guest bedroom, and then like I lived there for like six months on my foot rehab. Finally, like ended up going back to work, um, and I was going to move back to Milwaukee because we were like a little ways outside of Milwaukee, and he was like, dude, don't go. Like this has been the best, and I was like, I got to go back to Milwaukee. Like that's where I work. Like that's where like everything I do is. And he was like fine, I'll just buy a house in Milwaukee. So he, he found this like amazing, like Frank Lloyd Wright mansion on the lake, on Lake Michigan, with like a private beach and like this fucking, just the, the best place ever. Right. And he bought it and he, and then he invited Ryan to live there. And then Kyle ended up living there. And then like a couple of our other friends and, and Stu from Miser signals eventually moved in. And then like four years later, that stupid conversation we had as a joke became a reality. And we just all lived with the dude. And then, yeah. um, those dudes eventually... I mean, Ryan moved out. He 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 had kids. He moved to Idaho. Stu moved away. He moved to Vancouver to do a different band. And um, we just kept, like, porting in new friends, like younger blood, like younger kids. And uh, and then we... Last year, we all decided we wanted to move, and we all moved out here. He just bought an even sicker house in Portland, and now we all live together in Portland. I,
1: I love that, because it's like every community, like, you know, punk and hardcore community, has the house that people stay at, you know? It's like they have... Uh, you know, oh yeah, you're gonna stay with uh, this dude when you roll through this town or whatever. You know, as long as it's like of a certain level. You know, if you're playing a show in front of like four people, like you're probably not gonna have quote unquote access to that person. But then, um, you know, just just to have that even, you know, extrapolated even further to like what you guys were doing, where it was just like, oh yeah, it's incredible, and it's like it re- it's so unique because of obviously the random circumstance of Andy happening to be in like one of the most popular rock bands in the world. Um, it's like you know that doesn't happen. <laughs> to most scenes from that perspective. And I think that's honestly why, um, you know, so many people like look up to Andy, especially that come from our scene, because it's just like, you know, talk about a person that like, obviously hasn't changed as a human being. And it's like, he had every opportunity to change as a human being, but he's just like, nah, I'm just, I'm just the drummer. I just want to hang out with my
0: friends. Dude, he's, he's the fucking best dude. Like he always cracks me up. Cause he'll like text me from time to time. Like, and this is what always kills me. Like, okay. So, they met fucking Obama on inauguration night. And like, I remember they met, they met like Jay Z and Beyonce, like really early, like when they were first blowing up and like Kanye and like, you know, you know, sports stars and like everybody you can think of. But then every once in a while, he'll just text me and be like, yo, I just hung with Chino from Deftones. It was fucking sick. And like, that's like what he's super stoked on. Or like, yeah. I just met like such and such who used to drum for like whatever, or like I'm hanging out with the dude from Damnation or, or like something, you know, whatever, like something that like, you know, just such like lower stand. I'm just thinking like, you fucking met the president. Like, you know, like totally. this is not much, you can't get much higher than that. And like, also the dude is just like, he's still such a hardcore kid. He's in like a hundred, he's in like a hundred bands right now. Like, I've not, I don't know if you've heard of sect. sect.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah.
0: Um, and he's, I
1: just just find it. So yeah, like I said, it's just, it's one of those things where it's like, it's that total, um, you know, like, kid Goonies never say die attitude of like oh like I I would like to do this one day and then like you know because honestly it's like if that happened to anybody within like you know I had a a very similar house that like I lived at with some of my best friends and it's like it totally would have been the same scenario if if all of a sudden one of us became you know very well off that we would have probably done the same thing you know but it's just like those circumstances don't always happen and it yeah I just find it so not only is it charming but obviously it just goes to show that I think what we have here in independent music is obviously so special. Cause you know, that shit doesn't, I mean, yeah, you could be like, Oh, it's like entourage. And it's just like, it's n- nothing like that.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, that was really a lot of what we modeled it after. Cause that show was like really, really popular when we, when we first like started living together and we would just watch it all the time and just be like, fuck yeah. we like, like hardcore entourage.
1: <laughs> totally, totally. No, that's true. I got, yeah. So, I, okay. Maybe you can, maybe you can phrase it like that. It's like a less bro Entourage,
0: <laughs> yeah, no, definitely, definitely less growing. It's a hardcore entourage for sure, <laughs>
1: um, and so then uh you know as, as you were obviously uh you know living with your friends and kind of you know being able to pursue your whatever creative passions that you had, um you know because obviously you didn't have you know a huge overhead to crack from that perspective, um you know, where did you obviously started to find yourself being drawn to you know, the visual medium and creating film and all that sort of stuff. So, you know, walk me through that process on like how you started to kind of put that into action
0: yeah i mean like and, and again like another gigantic thanks to andy i don't I don't know if i'd be making films if not for him like this film that i just made we're gonna put it out it's not gonna make any fucking money it, like i basically spent a year and a half on it for no money at all just because it was something i was passionate about and that's not something i'd be able to do if i didn't have a dude letting me stay in his awesome house you know and not have to worry about a lot of the things that a lot of people have to worry about like you know rent and fucking staying alive and stuff like that so um thanks shout out to andy again for that but um yeah like uh when i graduated college it was it was pretty hard to get into film diy because there were just no cameras like you couldn't like i had a shitty fucking you know like handy cam or whatever but i was never one of those kids who like made movies like that just seemed like the barriers to entry were really high um and also like I don't know. I don't really think I was like super interested in, in doing anything when I first graduated anyway. So like it was, I just kind of like got lost in like going on tour with, with fall player misery signals and just like hanging out and like I was a bartender for years. But then like a couple of years later, um, like when DSLR started to come out and it was easier to shoot something and have it like look pretty good. Um, I got some cameras and started making short films and sort of just fell into documentary. Um, and then when the opportunity presented itself to, well, misery signals invited me on tour to, um, shoot like a, I had done like a making of their last record documentary thing that they put out with their Kickstarter thing. Um, it was like a 45 minute, like, you know, like three part series about like them recording absent light. Um, and then when they went to do that reunion tour, the Malice X tour, which like featured the original lineup playing together for the first time in a decade, um, they're like, yeah, just come out and shoot the shows and we'll make a little tour DVD. Um, and I was like, cool, tight. They had, like, no budget. I was like, that's fine. I get to go into it with my friends real quick. Like, it'll be a fun, cool thing. Um, they'll pay me a bit of money to edit it. It'll be awesome. Um, but then I got out there, and um, there was a lot happening beyond six shows. There was a lot of drama taking place behind, you know, closed doors and, and backstage and stuff. Um, and it seemed like a really perfect opportunity to sink my teeth into like a bigger project like my first big project like the longest thing i had shot before that was probably like something like 15 minutes and it wasn't even that good um so i just started filming everything and doing interviews and um trying to dive as deep as i could into the story that was unfolding like every day um and that turned into my first feature-length documentary which is yesterday was everything
1: so that's what that's it's kind of wild to me that, uh, you know, I mean, obviously you were pursuing something, you didn't know what it was, but then in the middle, uh, like it's, it's a very interesting scenario that you find yourself in because obviously, like you said, you saw this drama kind of ar- arising around you and the only way that you would really be able to capture that is by the fact that, you know, all these people, you know, sensibly are, you know, people that you've known for quite some time and they, who trust the way that you're going to portray it, you know, um, that, that seems like such a random set of coincidences to be able to be like, okay, now I see this as a documentary sort of full-length thing.
0: Yeah, it was really lucky. I mean, because, like, I always say, the difference... I mean, I, I don't really like documentaries, actually. Like, they typically bore me. And I think... Um, the reason is because I don't think many of them are that good. I think a lot of them are homework. I think a lot of them are like feature, like magazine articles disguised as movies, where they just get somebody to tell you what's happening instead of you reading it. And like in a lot of ways, like the medium is wasted because um, you're not there. Nobody's showing you anything. It's just a bunch of people telling you a story. And you know, it's cool to like have somebody who was there tell a story, and then you see an old photo, and then you're like, oh, holy shit! But like, it's I, I always like being there, like being in the mix. And I always think it's about access. Access is the key to good um you know like non-narrative storytelling like how much is somebody going to give you whether it's an interview like on 60 minutes or something like that or like an interview in like rolling stone or esquire or something like that or a feature-length documentary like how what percent is somebody going to give up to you like when you turn the camera on or turn the tape recorder on and um you know i lived with three of these dudes for five years before that. One of them is my best friend of 20 years. The other dude is like one of my other closest friends in my life. They gave me everything I needed. Even the dude who I was not as close to, not nearly as close with as the rest of the dudes, like, um, you know, like slowly came around and, and gave me more than I could have ever imagined because he had, you know, probably the most intense part of the story to tell. Um, And yeah, I couldn't have been luckier, man. I mean like you, you do projects with people you don't know. You spend a fucking week just trying to get to know them and get to the point where they, they don't think you're going to like chop their words up and make them look stupid. These dudes told me crazy shit like on day one. So I had like, I, I had I had the the fucking keys to the kingdom as far as the story went. I could get whatever I wanted. Time was the only factor. Like we were on we were on a tour. The tour was ten days long. I had no production assistance and I just basically had to like track people down to get like an hour with somebody. Like I could really only do like one an interview like once a day because there just wasn't time. Like we'd be in the you know how tour it goes. Like there's just you got that tiny bit of downtime and um I, I honestly probably needed to talk to everybody for like an hour a day each, but I ended up usually getting like half an interview with somebody and then like maybe an hour with somebody else. And like a lot of the things looking back on the doc that feel like incomplete or unrealized are just a result of not having enough time to flesh shit out. Cause you can't just jump in and be like, Hey man, what's up? Like, uh, we're in fucking Winnipeg today. You only slept four hours last night. Why don't you tell me the story about when your van crashed and two of your best friends died? Like, um, you gotta, you know,
1: warm up to that. Right. Right.
0: It takes time. Yeah. It takes time. So like, I think, um, under the circumstances I did pretty well. Um, and and I'm really proud of what, what came out of it. And and again, like just that access, like, like you said, like knowing those dudes and and being so close to those dudes, it, it made, it made producing the thing, um, so easy.
1: Yeah. Well, I find it interesting, too. I mean, the two thoughts on it. Well, one in regards to you basically uh, having the skills to be able to not only from a visual perspective, but then, you know, whether or not you knew it the journalistic side of yourself like obviously interviewing people is a skill you have to know how to obviously build a camaraderie i mean you didn't have to do that as much because you know you knew these people but there's still that level of trust where it's like yeah you can't just drop in like yeah tell me the most fucked up shit you've ever you know encountered in your life like within two minutes you know um so you like had to pull in those skills and like did you recognize that as you were doing it or it's like oh wow like the sort of you know journalist side of me is is peeking up
0: yeah, for sure. I mean, like, I knew I could do that. I knew I was good at that. Like, that's probably what I'm best at with documentary is, is that that time of like, you know, just having a real conversation. Um, I had done tons and tons of short films. Um, none of them were really any good because none of them were really about anything that was like worth talking about. They were all just like kind of excuses for me to make short films. But um, but that was like uh, that's a skill that I've been cultivating like since the first day I picked the camera up. So um, I was real confident in that aspect of it um, and. It, it it wasn't a challenge. it was
1: it was nice. that's awesome. Um, the two last things I want to hit on before I let you go. One of them was the fact like, you know, I, as I walked away from the documentary and watching um you know this 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 experience of obviously documenting these these shows of of the band that you know, misery signals, they obviously had some success. But, you know, in the relative scheme of things, like you know it was a kind of a small, small ish blip within the context of punk and hardcore. Um, like very meaningful to me. Um, but you know, a lot of people would be like, Oh, misery signals doc. Like that's, that's cool, whatever. But the, the thing that I took away from it was the fact that it's like, you, you don't realize the impact of what these things are until you obviously have time to look back on it. And so it's like, you know, every band that, you know, each one of us have played in over the years, like you don't realize what sort of impact that has until, you know, whatever, four to 10 years after the band has existed because the people that, you know, went to the shows and experienced it, like, It could be that could have been the center of their universe for those, you know, whatever, two to four years they were paying attention to that stuff. Um, And to me, it wasn't even so much a documentary on on misery signals as a whole, but obviously just a snapshot of all of the. Uh, impact that these you know just a touring band in general and like what that means and how that kind of transpires and I know there's no real question couched in this but it's like did you was that kind of the lens that you were trying to view it from where it's like yeah this is a misery signals documentary it's it's, uh, showcasing what this band meant to people But then it's also kind of trying to be sort of a a slice of life, like, hey, you probably aren't aware that this stuff happens, but, you know, this stuff happens. Like, you know, whether it's van accidents, whether it's, you know, drama, whether it's the fact that these people, uh, you know, have have met their significant others through this touring and all that sort of stuff. Like, did you view it through that lens at all?
0: Without a doubt, man. And like, I'm so stoked that you, you got it really thank you um that's without a doubt this this could have been your band it could have been the band that you loved it could have been the band your friend was in your your relative was in um this is just um this is the experience man um it's you know like um and it's funny too because when i sent this thing out like I, i sent it out to a bunch of people for notes and like i got a bunch of notes back that were like why do i care like why why does misery signals deserve to have a documentary about them like they're not you know they're are whatever they're a fucking metalcore band that was like popping like really like at their height like six or seven years ago to be honest you know like um like why do they they're they're, they're not you know but it but it's just it, it doesn't matter they're the they're the um the stand in for whatever whoever it's just the experience of of, of hardcore um and you know of touring and of that lifestyle and it's it's to me it's it's a love letter to hardcore it's a, a love letter to a scene that like um even though i was only in it for a short time like profoundly affected the rest of my life and i'm sure like anybody who's listening to this podcast, um, you know, is somebody who's who's been in it or around it and can probably identify with that. Like, you know, like I said, like I I toured in that band for like a fucking year. And like I you know, I did some more touring with other friends' bands after that, but like really like being in the experience and also like going to shows. Like how long did you really go to shows when you were a kid? Like we all look back on it and it feels like such a huge part of our lives. But like, fuck, I probably only actively went to shows like every weekend like like it was the center of my universe for like, you know, under five years or something like that. Like, and now looking back, that's such a blip on like, it's such a tiny part of my life, but it, but it feels like it was like the, like my entire adolescence, teen, early adulthood, you know, it just had like this gigantic, profound effect on my life. And, And I think like DIY, punk, hardcore, whatever it is, like, I think that has that effect on a lot of us who've been through it. So, so to me, it was just a love letter to that.
1: That's really cool. No, I, I, I like that. And I mean, I, I'm, I'm glad that obviously I, w- I wasn't way off in that observation where you'd be like, no, no, seriously, it's just a documentary. Mr. Signals. I'm like, Oh, whoops. <laughs> I, I <was> re- <laughs> no, re- not at
0: all. No, you re- got re- it. Re- exactly, man. Yeah. You, know, you no, got it. Exact. No, that's cool.
1: Because yeah, I do think it's like, um, uh, especially too, where I, I mean, I, I find in a lot of these conversations I have that, you know, I, I try not to tread on too much on nostalgia, even though obviously I'm walking through a person's life. Um, you know, the the idea that you you obviously don't stop evolving as a person um you know is a reality but like you can look at these times as obviously being formative and you have learned so much about not only yourself but like how to deal with people how to be a professional human being like all these things that you don't realize you're learning at the time have completely impacted you so there's no way that you can't look back on that and be like dude that was like i can't like if i didn't have that i don't even know where i fucking beat you know yeah i know And so now that that you're pivoting, the last thing I want to hit on before uh, I let you go was the idea that now that you have this, obviously this, this feather in your cap, so to speak, um, you know, what does your vision turn to as far as like what, you know, in an ideal world, what would you like to focus on uh, moving forward? Obviously more documentary feature filmmaking, like, you know, I mean, I'm sure that's all kind of on the radar, but, um, what's more, um, I guess, tangible for you to kind of take next steps towards
0: Um, I just finished, I just wrapped up shooting another documentary about a month ago, uh, that I had started to work on before yesterday was everything, um, that I'm really proud of that I think is going to have, um, like a pretty good future when when we finally get it out there, hopefully sometime in the spring. Um, it's about uh, a high school, um, a high school in Milwaukee that's known for having a, a high percentage of LGBTQ kids, um, and it's an interesting story about like an art project and, and a bunch of their lives. Um, it was a really easy shoot by comparison, uh, to yesterday was everything. I think mostly because I had to edit yesterday was everything. Cause we just didn't raise any money. So, uh, the editing process is like its own just insane monster. And, um, I wasn't really looking forward to it. I didn't want to do it originally. Um, it took fucking forever. And like I said, cost me a lot of time and got no money off it. So like, uh, doing this this other doc and then just wrapping it in like a week and a half and just like um, feeling like, oh shit, I, this could be easy. Uh, it gets, makes me want to um, probably try and do some more doc work. Uh, but also I really want to get into narrative filmmaking too. That's like what I grew up on. It's like my favorite thing to do is go to the movies. And I didn't go to film school. I have no experience in it. I've never written a script or anything like that. I, I've shot some shorts, uh, done some music videos. Um, I hope to one day like – give that a good try but um yeah i don't know i'm just kind of leaving my options open something to do with moving pictures though, for sure and music yeah. too
1: oh for sure no it's exciting yeah because you obviously still you know are are active musically as well with uh you know whatever state burning empires is in currently or is the, and you said you're piecing something else together as of right now
0: yeah 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 i'm writing for for something else got too it, got, got it got and it's exciting and it's got cool people in it i'm stoked
1: as, as well uh, it should be
0: <laughs> dude you know I'd, I'd love to make more docs about hardcore though too because like i really don't even feel like i scratched the surface of like all the cool characters and like amazing stories that exist in in the scene you know and like really like interacting with it through film made me feel like i was up in it again in a way that i haven't felt in in like years and years and like i don't know at, at some point i'd love to like tell another story from hardcore that'd be yeah. awesome
1: Oh no, for sure! It's super exciting. Like there's there's people, some people down here in Southern California that are putting together a, a showcase theater documentary, um, and it's 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 one of those things where it's like uh, most of us are obviously of an age now where it's like you know we are looking back on these things and being like holy shit! Like this one random venue in Corona, California was like so monumental to so many people, but it's like you know no one you know 99.9% of the world is just be like the fuck is that like this is just a random like shitty theater in a strip mall and it's like well it's way more than that but like yeah that it's again that sort of slice of life stuff where it's just like if you peek your head you look under that rock a little bit you'll realize like oh wow that's got a profound impact and you just I mean that's and that's obviously the beauty of
0: documentaries Totally, man. And you know what? Like those stories, I find those stories to be universal. Like, I don't care what the scene is. If you if you find me a person who was there and can tell me about like an art and a movement that took place at a time and place and tell me that story. I don't give a fuck what it is. I don't care if it's music or like um, sculpture or like, you know, sports or whatever. Like that stuff, like I'll tune in. I'm in like if you can get that access and you can get those stories like those are those are fun stories.
1: No, for sure. I mean, and honestly, it's like it's we're all trying to do the same thing, you know, like it's just in different mediums, whether it's like playing in bands, whether it's, you know, doing a podcast, whether it's, you know, producing documentaries, we're all trying to place context in a world that sometimes is devoid of it, you know, because obviously it's easy for a person to kind of dip into whatever it is that we're talking about, you know, look up a, a misery signals on the internet and kind of watch a few YouTube videos and read the Wikipedia injury, but not understand the sort of, um, you know, tangible feeling that it evoked from people. And like all of these things, either through conversation or through film, it's the only way that people are ever going to not only be able to remember it, but then to be able to like actually see what that meant, you know, it's just, yeah, totally. it's like, I mean, we were joking about bulldogs earlier, and it's just like when you mentioned victory records, you know, to people, uh, you know, of a certain age between the ages of, you know, whatever, twenty-eight and forty, you'd be like, "Well, yeah, victory is obviously different now, but like, dude, it, victory is the fucking shit. Like, it was an extremely important <laughs> part. Like, don't
0: don't totally. malign the bulldog, you know? <laughs> no, you have no idea. It was, it was, it was all I had, man. Just running around looking for that bulldog, fuck, for like a year or two. <laughs> totally.
1: I love it. I think that should that should uh, you should get a tattoo and so or like a chess piece. Obviously, just just looking for the bulldog. That's perfect. <laughs> well, dude, thank you so much, Matt. I really had fun with this.
0: Yeah, me too, man. Thanks so much.
1: So, thank you very much to Matt Mixon for hanging out with me because um, you know it's uh, it's time out of their day, and I appreciate that when people are interested in appearing on this thing and uh, spreading their story because uh, everybody's interesting, you know. So. Let's see, what do I got to tell you? Uh, 100wordspodcast.com is the show's website, and the music for this show, as always, is provided by Lowercase Noises. Google him, find him on Bandcamp, find him on Facebook. Wherever it is you find music, you can find his stuff, and it is incredible. It will put you in a very nice headspace, no matter what you're feeling. So do that. Email the show, 100wordspodcast.gmail.com. at gmail.com, And then, um, yeah, should I tell you the guest next week? Yeah, I probably should, right? So the guest next week is Colt Cabana. Colt Cabana. He is a professional wrestler. And, uh, you know, this may seem odd. Like, you know, where's this professional wrestler coming from? Is he like an old punk and hardcore dude? No. Um, but he uh, has a very, very large knowledge base when it comes to touring and putting DIY shows together. It's it's a very fascinating thing that I've been noticing With uh, not only, obviously, independent comedy, but then uh, in independent wrestling and wrestling in general. That there are the same through lines that a lot of bands go through in regards to, you know, putting on shows and basically trying to control their own destiny. And uh, I wanted wanted Colt on the show for quite some time because uh, he's just a, he's an entertaining dude to begin with. But um, he's got a really, really good story. And the parallels that we draw between both of our worlds are uh, really, really important because uh, he's doing real hard work. And... um, Yeah, bands are doing real hard work. So there you go. I'll draw some cool parallels there that you probably didn't even consider before I brought that up to you. So there you go. And uh, until next week, please be safe, everybody. Oh, and happy Halloween, right? Yeah, happy Halloween. You've been listening to the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. Jabberjawmedia.com. Shh.